Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The FT. More tinkering with the state pension. Where does it leave those approaching retirement? A major provider pulls out of the annuity market, reducing choice still further. And has the price of farmland finally peaked after a decade-long boom? All this to come in this week's FT Money Show. I'm Jonathan Ely, and I'll be giving you all the money news this week in downloadable form with the help of my FT colleagues, Josephine Cumbo. Hello. Tanya Poli. Hello. And our special guest today, Tom McPhail, pensions expert at Hargreaves Lansdowne. Hello. So let's start with the money news. Earlier this week, the Financial Times reported exclusively that Prime Minister David Cameron is seeking to slow down the introduction of the new flat rate basic state pension. Our Westminster colleagues tell us he's concerned that the simplified system could leave some retirees, especially middle and higher earners, worse off than before. I'm joined now by Tom McPhail, who is a pensions expert at Hargreaves Lansdowne, the Bristol-based financial services group. Tom, remind us what the government's plans for state pensions originally entailed. The idea behind reforming the state pension is to make it simpler, uh, simpler for people to understand what they're going to get from the state, um, and simpler in terms of eliminating the means-testing issue around pension credit. So... If we move away from the current state pension where we have a basic state pension and the state second pension and nobody understands how it works or how much they're going to get from the state, if we can move to a system where everybody knows that they're going to get around £7,500 a year, then that's simple. That's what you're going to get from the state. If you want more than that, you need to start saving. Very simple message. It will encourage people to engage with their retirement planning. And then there's this question of the means-tested pension credit. There's a worry that under the present system, the, the welfare support from the pensions credit could act as a disincentive to save. If people, particularly lower earners, think that they're going to get the pension credit, then why would they bother saving money into their own private pension? Why not just spend the money now and rely on the pension credit in the future? So if we can reform the state pension, eliminate the need for the pension credit, then again it will encourage people to save their own money on top. So it's, it, it's a good idea. Well, that all sounds great. Um, more simplicity, more certainty, um, both for the retiree and for the taxpayer. So why is the government having second thoughts? Well, the problem with it is that whilst it is a very good idea and it enjoys universal support across the pensions industry, it's redistributive. So uh, there will be losers as well as winners. Um, there's a government commitment to keep it fiscally neutral, so there's no extra money to spend. Uh, and so under the present system, higher earners typically would get a state pension in excess of £145 a week. And Downing Street's, I think, getting cold feet about the fact that 
if they bring this reform in, those people who would have done better under the present system are going to be upset that they're now losing out relative to, to, to what they would have got. I think there's also political concern that anyone that retires before this new system comes in would have their state pension. They would not then be incorporated into the reform system. And so you're going to have uh, headlines saying people have retired one day too early, missed out on the new state pension, and they're going to be unhappy about that. Now, in fact, they would get the state pension they were always promised. It just wouldn't be the, the new state pension. So I think there's, there's, there's a worry in Downing Street that there's a political cost to this, that there will be fallout, that there's a potential vote loss from doing all of this. Okay, so what are they going to try and do to square the circle and and try and achieve the benefits of simplicity and certainty, but without some of the political costs? Well, they're they're clearly having some problems with this because we should have made some more progress than we have. There's been a delay in in bringing forward the the white paper, the draft legislation in terms of where they're going to go with this. So um, they are promising us that we are still going to get this legislation, that they will be changing the state pension. The question is, how quickly are they going to do it? In the pensions industry, we want them to get on with it. We want to move to that clear, simple system as quickly as possible. Our worry is that their their political path through this will be to bring in the change, but to water it down and implement it over a longer time scale. And that will bring greater ambiguity, greater uncertainty. We're about to go into the whole auto-enrolment programme. It would be great if we could get there quickly. And I'm just a bit worried that their, their way of fudging this will be to slow everything down. Do you think there's a danger that the government will, will pull back on its um, pledge of £140 a week basic state pension for everybody? I think they will find it difficult to do that, but there are ways that they can uh, tinker with the system. One of the things they're looking at is is adjusting the retirement ages based on longevity. So uh, a pressure valve would be to say, yes, we'll still do that £140, £145 a week, but we're now factoring in a longevity adjustment, so you're not going to get it till you're 70. Uh, And so there are ways that they can work around it. If you're a saver approaching retirement, perhaps in your 50s, um, looking over your shoulder a bit, um, what's the best thing to do? What can people do to make sure that whatever the government decides eventually to do, that they're prepared for it? Uh, in, in simple terms, you know, keep keep doing as much as you can in terms of your private savings. We've got the whole auto-enrolment programme mm-hmm. kicking off of people being brought into workplace pensions. So join the company scheme, take the employer contributions, build up as much as you can in the way of private retirement savings and just, just kind of wait and see what happens with the state pension and see where we end up. It is going to change, hopefully for the better. In the meantime, keep calm and carry on. Many thanks, Tom. We've got lots more detail on the options for those approaching retirement in this weekend's FT Money. Or you can read our comprehensive state pension Q&A online at www.ft.com forward slash money. Still to come on the show, is the long boom in farmland prices finally over? But for now, let's stick with pensions. MetLife, the US financial services giant, recently announced that it's withdrawing from the fixed-term annuity market. It's another blow for those people approaching the point at which they must convert their accumulated savings pot into an income for retirement. This is one of life's most important financial decisions, and it's already been made much harder by falling annuity rates and rock-bottom gilt yields. Joe, can you remind us what a fixed-term annuity is and why it can be useful? Fixed-term annuities um, really came onto the market about five years ago and really wanted to fill the space between the extremes of annuity, which is locking yourself into a rate uh, for life, and income drawdown. 
keeping your um, funds invested in the stock market is a riskier option, which some people don't feel comfortable doing. So into this space, entered fixed-term annuities, which give you the option of locking into a rate and offering a secure income for a typically about five to ten years or so, but also you get a guaranteed sum at the end of your fixed term. And presumably the upside of that is that it keeps your options open for a while and um, and, and presumably your health might get worse, in which case you would get a, an impaired annuity um, after your five or ten years. Those are the two big selling points of these kind of products. And I guess it's been driven very strongly in recent years by the, the strong downturn in annuity rates. People are wondering, you know, sh- I don't really want to lock into a, a rate now. Should I hold off? So this gives them some time, and that's uh, the appeal of it. If you if you believe that rates or you want to take the gamble that rates are going to increase, you could do that. And at the end of your fixed term, look at your options, roll over um, into, a, into a drawdown product or buy another annuity or go into another short-term product. So it is about keeping your options open. And the result also the flexibility to if your health has worsened over that period that you might qualify for an uplift in your income by buying an enhanced or impaired life annuity. So why has MetLife decided to pull out of this market now? Well, there's only a handful of providers really in this market. There's only about five of them and the withdrawal of MetLife means there's only four now and it wasn't a big part of their business to start with. So it it's not going to be a major loss to the market. But they're saying they're, um, it was unique circumstances. Their investment approach, which is quite conservative, meant that they couldn't deliver customer benefits. I don't think that that means that their um, products weren't all that competitive, basically. They weren't going forward. The, the guaranteed sums that they were offering weren't attractive. And if you're an existing MetLife customer, does this affect no, you? No, no, no. It's only new business going forward. They won't be offering their products. And what options does that now leave for those who are still looking for a fixed-term annuity? Are there any alternative providers and are there any alternative strategies? Well, there are alternative strategies and the um, advisors that I've spoken to this week say that you should keep your options open because there are a lot of drawbacks to locking into a fixed-term annuity. Um, The the biggest being that it's a gamble and you could risk that if you come out uh, of that five-year period that annuity rates are going to be much worse, you're going to be worse off. So I might draw Tom back into the discussion now. Tom, what are the alternatives? Um, you can you can simply lock into a lifetime annuity now, and as we've discussed, a lot of people aren't comfortable with the finality of that decision. You could simply go into a drawdown plan and just keep all your options open, keep your money in the market, wait and see what happens next. Uh, of course, annuity rights might, rates might keep going down, so there's no certainty that will pay off for you. Um, we think that uh, an entirely acceptable solution as an alternative to all of this is to do a bit of both, is to to commit some of your money to a lifetime annuity now to secure a base level of income now, um, but to keep some money in drawdown, to keep some of your options open and to use those two products in combination to hedge off your different risks and options. And I think that works for a lot of people. Could that be a cheaper option? It's, it's a more effective option. And bear in mind that one of the problems with the fixed-term annuities is that the short-term interest rates are very unkind at the moment. So if you buy a bit of lifetime annuity, you'll actually get a better rate on that than you would on the short-term fixed-term annuity. And so, yes, it can be more efficient. Thank you to both Joe and Tom. Don't forget you can read more about fixed-term annuities and the remaining providers in this weekend's FT Money. And to check out the latest annuity rates or work out your likely retirement income, why not visit the Tools and Calculators section of our website? Just go to www.ft.com forward slash money and click on the Tools and Calculators link. Finally today, we're heading down the farm. Mark Twain once advised us to buy land because they don't make it anymore. 
and anyone who'd taken that advice a few years ago could be sitting on a bumper harvest by now. Prices for UK farmland have tripled in the last 10 years, even as the residential property market has come off the boil. There are several funds that invest in farmland which comes with attractive tax breaks, but some advisers think these are unsuitable for retail investors, and a major agriculture fund has just put a big farm in the UK up for sale, leaving some predicting that prices have already peaked. Tanya Poli has been investigating what looks like a fertile source of profits. Let's hear what she's unearthed. First of all, Tanya, how have farmland prices performed these past few years and why have they gone up so much? Well, it's been a, a story we've kind of talked about quite a lot on FT My Show previously. We've actually seen um, such a huge growth in sort of land values, sort of um, the average arable land values across um, England and Wales. So over the past 10 years, we've seen um, a growth of 202%. And actually, um, what with the Queen's Jubilee um, this year, there was a lot of research come out about how much land values have, have risen over that period. And actually, it's a massive 10,000%. So really, it has been one of sort of consistent sort of growth over the past 60 years even. Really, what's kind of pushing up that um, increase has been the fact that, like you say, what Mark Twain said, that, you know, there is a, a finite amount of land out there. We're seeing limited supply um, coming onto the market as well, which is pushing up the va- values of farms out there. Also, we've had, a, I mean, it's been particularly this case this summer where there's been a lot of um, droughts over in the US, which has caused a lot of bad harvests. So wheat prices have been soaring as well. And it's all kind of contributing to the fact that, you know, there's more mouse out there to feed. So we need kind of to grow more food for that. Farmland also comes with some significant tax advantages. Can you tell us a little more about those? Yeah, so one of the big perks of um, investing in farmland is the fact that you would get um, relief from inheritance tax, which is obviously a big factor for a lot of investors these days. They want to look at how they can actually limit that tax. One of the ways is actually if you invest in farmland, either directly or through a fund, as long as you actually um, farm the land directly or through a sort of shared profit agreement with another farmer, um, you actually after two years get um, relief from inheritance tax. So it actually is quite a big, big gain for a lot of investors out there. Obviously, buying a farm would be quite a big step for most investors. So um, how do the funds make it easier? What's available for, for private investors? There's a few new funds um, coming onto the, uh, the market soon. So I was speaking to Stella Asset Management this week, and they were saying they're looking at launching a fund next month, which actually allows um, retail investors to access the farmland market by a minimum of about £15,000. So they basically um, invest in the fund, which invests in other farms, and they have this kind of shared profit agreement. So that's enabled people to get that kind of inheritance tax relief. Um, Other farms out there are um, the Farm Fund, which is aptly named, and that's managed by Manor House Farms. And there's also the Bremer UK Agricultural Land Fund and Brooks McDonald's um, Farms also have a um, fund out there. And why are advisors cautious about these funds? Some of them have been telling you that they're not actually that suitable for many investors. Part of the reason is the fact that they're um, obviously liquid, so it's not that easy to get your money out. Um, most of these are closed-ended funds as well, and then don't tend to be regulated by the FSA. So most of the advisors I've been speaking to are saying they're really only for like sophisticated, sophisticated investors that understand the risks out there with investing in these type of funds. And finally, what about the outlook for prices? Surely they can't double again in the next 10 years? Well, it's one of those areas where there seems to be quite contrasting opinions. Um, some of the land agents I've been speaking to this week believe um, that there's you know, more upwards movements to come because of that, that you know, down to this issue of this lack of supply and obviously more um, growing populations. Um, others believe that we might have reached a peak in some areas. Um, they believe that some of some values and maybe of secondary land values are kind of topping off and um, starting to come down because farmers 
buyers and investors aren't willing to pay um, such high prices for these for the land values. So it's it's going to be an interesting one to watch, I think, in the future. So clearly we perhaps shouldn't be betting the farm on rising land prices. Thank you, Tanya. There's lots more about investing in farmland in this week's FT Money. And this weekend's paper also looks at why mid-cap shares are booming, how charges can eat up the dividends from your income funds and lots more. But that's all for this week's FT Money show. Remember, you can get weekday news updates on our website, www.ft.com forward slash money. And you can read and comment on our latest blog posts at ft.com forward slash money matters. We'll be back next week with another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Joe, Tanya and our special guest, Tom McPhail from Hargreaves Lansdowne. Goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.